The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. As we start off another year, I think it's always good that we remind ourselves the most important thing you and I can do is pray. So many times that becomes the least neglected or the most neglected. It becomes the thing that we do the least when in fact, when we choose to pray, when we choose to partner with the Heavenly Father and release His power through our prayer, great things can occur. Ushers, would you come please at this time with that prayer card? And I want you to distribute one of those to everyone. Hold this, we'll fill it out later in the service, but I want everyone to have one of these, every person in the room. I'm asking you to do three things for me today. I'm asking you to pray for three family members through the rest of this year. Doesn't matter if they're saved or lost. If you have lost family members, by all means, put them on that list. Under that, pray for three family members, three members of your immediate family who need God to do something wonderful for them in 2016. And then I'm asking you to pray for three church members. Three people that you see on a weekly basis. Maybe you're new here and you don't know three people. Well, then you have an assignment today, don't you? Meet three new people before you leave today. Get their first and their last name. Write them down and tell them, I'm going to be praying for you the entirety of this year. Can I tell you something wonderful happens when we as the body of believers recognize that we're praying one for another. The Word says pray ye one for another and bear one another's burdens. So three people you're going to pray for, and I'd encourage you to make those three people outside of your normal circle, because you pray for them anyway, all right? And then three unsaved friends. Maybe they're people you work with, maybe it's your neighbors, maybe it's a friend that you've had for years, but you've never told them about Jesus Christ. I want you to pray for them and believe that in 2016, those three people will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, the secret to church growth isn't fancy, wonderful services. It's not great dynamic speakers. It's not music that's over the top. The secret to church growth is the church being the church and telling people about Jesus Christ. So I challenge you today, reach three, not just one, but reach three this year through your prayer and through your witness and through your life that they may come to Jesus Christ. And then generally pray for our nation, pray for our city. Pray for the nation of Israel and pray for the kingdom of God to be expanded. Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest field. So I'm going to ask you to commit to doing this through the entirety of 2016. Before you leave this morning, fill that card out. Pray for three family members. Pray for three uh, individuals here in the church and pray for three unsaved people that you know personally. Let me give you one of those people that I want you to pray for in terms of church members. I want everybody praying for this individual. His name is Paul Ladd. He's been a part of the body. They're evangelists. They travel. And Paul has been diagnosed with cancer. He got really bad news this week about that diagnosis. And we need to lift Paul before the Lord. So would you write Paul's name on your card? I'm going to give you a head start right now. So you can have one of those three church members already filled out. His name's Paul Ladd. Write him down, and every one of us is going to pray for him, for God to touch him and bring healing into his life and into his body. Will you agree to do that? Amen. Amen. Well, as we conclude the holiday season, is anyone besides me glad the holidays are over? Amen. I love it when Christmas comes, but I really love it when Christmas goes. Amen. Things return back to somewhat normal, and uh, it gets exciting then as we begin to see what God is doing.
We're starting 21 days of fasting and prayer beginning next Sunday, and I challenge you to be a part of that. You say, well, I have physical limitations. That's okay. Find one item from your diet that you can omit and fast. You say, well, I just, I just can't fast regularly. Do a Daniel fast. Fast breads and sweets and meats only. Fast one item a day. Some people want to fast social media. Whatever you do, that's between you and God. Because what did Jesus say? He said, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees who tear their clothes and put dirt on their hair to let everybody see what they're doing. No, don't do that. Just go about your daily life, but set aside, set aside time when maybe you would be eating lunch or watching your favorite program and give that time to God in prayer and asking Him to direct your life and minister to you and to your family and to your church. Then on January 12th, Franklin Graham will be here in Tallahassee. There's a sign-up sheet out on the uh, guest services stand. If you want to be a part of that prayer emphasis on the steps of the Capitol, sign up. We'll run vans down there so you don't have to worry about parking and be a part of that prayer for our nation. Amen? So this morning, I want to talk to you about being tolerant in an intolerant age. I want to talk to you about the fact that for you and I, in order to be the church of Jesus Christ, we have to be bold today. Mark Foley alluded to it, pardon me, I'm just having trouble with my tongue this morning, you pray for me, alluded to that fact that we have become retiring, we've become shy, we've become withdrawn as the church of Jesus Christ. If there is ever a day when you and I need to stand up and step up, this is the day. We need to understand that eternity is really on the line. The social media, many, many in our culture today would try to tell us that we have got to be tolerant of anything and everything. Well, tolerance by classic definition means respecting the nature, beliefs, or behavior of others. To tolerate something means that I understand your opinion may be different from mine, but I don't necessarily agree with you. However, tolerance has taken on a new definition in our culture. Today, tolerance has actually replaced justice in our culture. Tolerance today means that every view of truth, every view of morality is absolutely okay. There are no longer absolutes. There is no longer right and wrong. The Word of God is not our rule of faith and conduct. Whatever you believe is fine, and I have to tolerate that to go along to get along. If you dare tell someone that they're wrong, then you're labeled as an intolerant bigot in our culture. Well, I've come to tell you it's the day for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up, to raise high the standard of the Lord, to recognize once again there are truths that are absolutely absolute and they haven't changed from age to age or generation to generation. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of the Word of God inspires you and I today to live according to the Word of God. Can you say amen? We need to understand we're facing some tough decisions in days ahead. Satan's strategy has always been to stir up opposition against the church, to make the church feel as though they are outnumbered, they are outgunned, they better just sit down and shut up, stay in their own four walls. You see, this isn't new. You can read Acts chapter 4. What happened in Acts chapter 3? Peter and John were on the way to the temple. There was a lame man sitting outside the gate, beautiful. They stopped and they said, silver and gold have we none, 
but such as we have, give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And you know the story. The Bible says his feet and his ankle bones received strength, and he went leaping and running and praising God because he was healed. Now, on the back of that miracle came opposition. Listen to me, church. Anytime you try to live out the gospel, there will be opposition. Anytime you take a stand for righteousness, there will be opposition. Anytime you stand and say, I name the name of Jesus Christ and no other, there will be opposition. So you go to Acts chapter 4, and the religious rulers of the day called them on the carpet, the Sanhedrin. And they said, you guys have got to quit this. You've got to quit teaching in this Jesus guy's name. This stuff can't go on. And then you can read it in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. It says, when they saw the boldness, and I want you to remember that word, boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized, oh, come on, this is the clincher. They realized they had been with Jesus. Here's my question to you this morning. Do you have enough Jesus in you for someone to recognize that he's there? If not... You need to come this morning and say, fill me up one more time. I need more of you and less of me. I need the boldness of the Holy Ghost moving in and through my life. I am not called to be a mouse. I'm called to be a man or a woman of God. Fill me with boldness. Fill me with boldness. Going to read that scripture, it says that they warned them. And then after being warned, they went back to a prayer meeting. Verses 29 through 31 say it this way. They said, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Oh, I love that. Hear it again, church. With all boldness, it's time for the church of Jesus Christ, those of us who call his name as our Lord and Savior, those of us who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, those of us who claim to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, those of us who say we're a part of the redeemed, it's time for us to grow a backbone and be filled with boldness again. Amen. Stop being intimidated by the bully of culture. Stand against it. Truth always prevails. It says, with boldness that we may speak your word. Verse 30 isn't on the screen, but it goes on to say, you would confirm your word by stretching out your hand to do signs and wonders and heal. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. And I love the last part of that verse. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. With boldness. Say that last part of that verse with me, the part that's highlighted in a different color. Will you say it? And put your name in there. Will you do that? Do it this way. Steve was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke, and he spoke the word with boldness. Do that again. Like that. Do it again. All right? One more time. Your name in there. Say it out. Let me hear it. That's what we need to get in our spirit today. When we determine we're going to be the people of God, it doesn't matter what the culture says because we're going to live in boldness. We're going to live with a word, with a witness, with a testimony. We're going to live with a word that says, even though things look bad, I've got a God who knows the end from the beginning, and I will not fear. I'm going to live in boldness, not in timidity and fear.
We need to understand that's the plan of God for us. Oh, you may have opposition at work. You may have opposition at home. You may have opposition at school. You may have opposition from your spouse or even from your children. But it doesn't mean we lay back and sit down, but we stand up and with boldness declare the wonderful works of God. We are called to be bold. Well, it's easy to be in a service like this and say, yes, we're going to be bold. Right? Yes, let's do it, Pastor. Let's be bold. Let's go out there and take the city for Jesus Christ. Let's kill the giants. Let's do great things for God. Let's be bold. But what does that really mean? Robin, I'm going to use this handheld for just a second. If you'll make sure it's on for me, please, I'd appreciate it. Who in here has heard of the 2% rule? Anyone? Anyone heard of the 2% rule? My wife has because I told her about it on Friday. All right. The 2% rule says that 2% of any culture can change the culture if they'll be united and become a force. The 2% rule. Only 2% is all that's required. Matter of fact, a sociologist by the name of Robert Bella said, he's a sociologist at Princeton, the governing values of a whole culture may be changed when 2% of its people have a new vision. Think of it. All you need is 2% and you can change an entire culture. I remember years ago being in a seminar with Bill Bright. He was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And Bill made the statement in the 90s, if we can just get 2% of our college campuses in love with Jesus, on fire for Jesus, we can change the culture on that campus. At that time, I thought, well, that's a little bit odd. So I started looking and doing a little research and recognizing that this dude is right on. Now it's confirmed by sociologists as well. See, I'm not sure I believe that. 2%? We only need 2%? And we can change our culture? Absolutely, if we're united, if we're committed, if we're on fire for what we believe, we can change our culture. Matter of fact, look at the New Testament. When the disciples were on fire for Jesus Christ, they were a minority in Jerusalem and Israel. But you will find in Acts chapter 16, when they went into the city of Iconium, the Bible says that the people of Iconium said, they who have turned the city upside down have come hither also. Only a small group made a huge difference in that culture. So church, what I'm telling you, it's time to stop thinking we're the minority, and it's time to believe we are the majority through the power of Jesus Christ. 2% can make a difference. Let me illustrate it from our culture right now, and I'm going to need some help with this, all right? So don't be shy, don't hesitate, but give me the answer, all right? How much of our population in the United States of America do you think is Islamic by religion? Anyone? 5%, 15%, somebody else? 35%, someone else? 3%, someone else? 10%, you want to know the real truth? The real truth is less than 1% of our population is Islamic. Yet, yet, all we hear is how we need to change our culture to accommodate a very, very small group. Why? Because they've got some movement. They've got some force. They've got some action. Oh, I'm, I'm not preaching against Islam, but I'm telling you, it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and be heard and be counted. It's time to stop laying down and cowering down and being afraid that we might offend somebody. The gospel is offensive. There is no other way around it. 
The gospel is confrontational. It says you're a sinner and the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. That is offensive to a sinful man. And when you try to take the offense out of the gospel, you take the power out of the gospel. I've come to tell you that cross, that cross is offensive. People have said, you need to take that cross down. Someone said to me a few months ago, why don't you get a pretty cross? Are you kidding me? A pretty cross? Really? Let me check your IQ. Let's see if you're smart enough to be in this place. Because I don't think you are. Listen, there is no such thing as a pretty cross. The cross is an instrument of torture and an instrument of death. And it's on an ugly cross, a brutal cross, a horrible cross that Jesus gave his life for you and me. Come on, quit trying to be tolerant and be right in the sight of God. Quit worrying about offending everybody as brother and start worrying about offending God. It's time for the church to be the church in 2016. Less than 1% of our population is Islamic. Yet we see again and again and again stories. Matter of fact, the Attorney General even said that if you say something against Islam, I will pr- prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. Are you kidding me? That's ludicrous. That's ludicrous. No one's saying if you say something against Jesus... Come on, it's time for the church to be the church. All we need is 2% to stand up, unite, be together, and move forward to take our culture for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you another question. What percentage of our population in the United States of America do you think is gay or lesbian? How much? All right, someone else. Less than one, two, three, anybody else? We often overestimate, and I'm not going to use this mic, Robert, there's too many answers. Often overestimate that percentage. The real percentage is somewhere between 2.8 and 3.2. Yet isn't it amazing that the United States Supreme Court made a ruling this summer about marriage for gay and lesbians? Now listen to me. God loves all of us. God wants to redeem all of us. I'm not preaching against somebody. I'm simply telling you, when a group of people have a united cause and purpose and they stand together, they change culture. Now we've seen it in the United States of America. We see it when we read the New Testament. That group of believers banded together determined to take the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And when they did, they turned their world upside down. I'm looking for some world changers this morning. I'm looking for some people who say, I'm part of the 2%. I will stand for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be silent any longer. I believe there is a cause. I believe there is a reason. And I'm going to stand for him. In an age of intolerance... We've got to learn to stand. Stand firm because 2% can change the world. In our text this morning, and I did finally get there, we see the story of one man being able to change a circumstance. Read it with me, Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I'll go down now and see whether they're done altogether according to the cry against them that has come to me. Verse 23, 
When Abraham realized that God was coming to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he had family in that city, he decided to get involved. Verse 23, and Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you, if you've never underlined anything in your scripture, you need to underline verse 25 because it speaks to today. And it speaks to the heart of God. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You need to remember, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. God is still in control and God always does what's right. Always. Verse 26. So the, excuse me. He goes on to say, so if I find 50 righteous within the city, I'll spare it for their sakes. In verse 24, Abraham said, if there's 50 righteous there, will you spare the city? Verse 26, God responds, if I find 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. And Abraham, I don't know if he realized that maybe I've got a little door into the heart of God and God is going to listen to me or if he just became bold. I don't know which it was. The Bible doesn't tell us. But go on and read the next verse. And then Abraham said, who am I but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord? Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? God said, if I find 45, I'll not destroy it. So Abraham said, let's push this a little further. Let's go one step more. And he spoke to God again and said, suppose there's only 40 found in the city. Would you destroy it for 40? And God said, no, for the sake of 40, I won't do it either. And then he said, one step more. Well, God... Suppose that we can't find 50 and we can't find 45 and we can't find 40. What if we can only find 40 or 30? Would you still destroy the city? And God said, no, if you find 30, if I find 30, I'll not destroy the city. Then verse 31, Abraham comes back one more time. Lord, what if there's only 20? Will you spare the city if there's only 20 righteous people? And God said, I won't destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said it, Lord... Please don't be angry with me. I speak but once more. But suppose there's only 10. If you can only find 10 righteous in the city, will you spare the city for 10 righteous? And God said, if I find 10, I'm not going to destroy the city. When you look at that exchange, you come to realize that God is a God of mercy and grace. And when God's people step up and step in and begin to intercede for their culture, God moves in their behalf. You said, God, if we find 50, if we find 40, how about 45? How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? It's almost like an auctioneer at the cattle auction, isn't it? Come on, one more time, God, can I get one more bit? Finally, he stops at 10. I wonder if he would have went to five. What would have God said? Oh, I know what God would have said. He would have said, I'll spare him for five. What if he would have went to one? What would God have said? I know what God would have said. 
He would have said, I'll spare him for one. Why? Because read verse 25 one more time. It says, you don't deal with the righteous like you deal with the wicked. Oh, come on. Somebody needs to get that in their spirit this morning. You feel like you've been pounded and God is against you. I'm here to tell you, if you're his child, if you have named the name of Jesus Christ, if you're under the blood, if his name is upon you, he doesn't deal with you the way he deals with the wicked. He has grace and mercy and peace and abundance. He has favor and loving kindness and gentleness and goodness. Oh, he wants to pour it all into your soul. Stop thinking. He's waiting to beat me over the head and begin saying, God, bless me indeed. Because that's your will for my life. That's your will for my life. Three things very quickly, three takeaways I want you to get out of this message this morning. Number one, it shows us the character of God. First, this passage shows us that God knows our culture. He knows all about our sin. The Bible says that God responded because he heard the outcry coming from Sodom. He heard little kids being beaten by their drunk daddies. He heard teenage girls getting raped in back alleys. He heard old men getting beaten up and robbed by gangs of youth running wild and rampant. He heard the sob of the, of the young mother whose husband left her in the middle of the night. He heard the anguish and the cries of the drunks and the dope addicts who have no other way out. God heard the outcry. I'm here to tell you, God hears the cry of our society. And more than anything, he wants to step down and minister life. Secondly, it teaches us God is a God of justice. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't say, oh, that's going to be okay. God didn't say boys are going to be boys. Live and let live. No, he's a God of justice. Number three, it teaches us he's a God of mercy. When he heard the outcry of Sodom, he came down to investigate. And when he came down to investigate, Abraham met him. And Abraham began that dialogue that we've just read with God at that point in time. If there's 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, if there's only 10, will you spare the city? See, in this one fact, we see the God of mercy. And we see how merciful he is to us. That if there were only 10 righteous people in the city, he would have spared it. No question about it. So when we understand these things about God, that he's a God who has knowledge, has justice, has mercy, then we understand when we call upon him, we can actually intervene for our culture. We understand the nature, the character of God. Number two, we understand the characteristic of effective prayer. Now, when we read this scripture, I've talked to you before about the law of first, first mention. The first time you hear something in scripture, it will always follow that same pattern throughout scripture. Well, the law of first mention comes into effect here in Genesis 18 because this is the first time someone is interceded for a city. First time it ever happened. So when I read the story of Abraham interceding with God for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, I realize that if God was willing to do it for Abraham, he's willing to do it for you and me today as well. It's the law of first mention. It carries throughout Scripture. We need to understand that when Abraham prays for Sodom, he's praying an intercessory prayer. Now, there's folks that really don't understand intercessory prayer in the church today. Matter of fact, I think it was in June of last year, I called the church to a month of fasting and prayer. And in that call, I used the word intercession for our church and our community. I had someone email me. I just love it when people email me or send me anonymous letters. Come on, be a man. If you want to confront me, do it face to face. 
I can handle it, I assure you. By email. This guy sent me an email. You don't know what intercession is. We don't have to intercede anymore because Jesus is our intercessor. Yes, he is. He is at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you and me. That's what the Word says. But we also have the law of first mention. We also have example after example after example. James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man does what? It avails much. Another version says it's powerful and effective. Oh, come on, church. We need to understand the power of intercessory prayer. When you and I plug into the will of God and begin praying the will of God and asking God to come in and come down and change a circumstance. We didn't understand when we pray, we see God's mercy. We see God's mercy. We see God has no pleasure in destroying the wicked, but his pleasure is in redeeming. His pleasure is in buying back. What does the Bible say in John chapter 3 verse 17? For God sent not his son into the world to what? condemn the world, but that the world through him might be, what? Saved. He didn't come to judge or to destroy. He came to save. We need to understand that and begin letting that move in hearts and lives today. There is a value in intercession. That's what prayer is all about. So that we can say, as Abraham said, I can approach God and God will listen to my cry. Verse 23, Abraham said to God, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? How can God treat the righteous the same as he treats the wicked? The answer is he doesn't. You say, well, that's unfair. No, it's not. I'm his child. Listen to me. I don't treat your kids the way I treat my kids. Not because I'm mean or nasty. They're just not my kids. I'm not going to discipline your kids. I'm not going to provide for your kids. I'm not going to lecture your kids. I'm not going to spank your kids. That's your problem, not mine. Listen, if you raised a Helen, don't blame me. Blame yourself. All right, that's a 30-second synopsis on parenting, and I'll move on. I've meddled enough, right? All right. I don't treat my kids the way I treat your kids because they're mine. Do you understand God doesn't treat me the way he treats those who don't know him? Why? Because I am his. I have named his name. I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. He has written his name in me. I've got a hope and I've got a future because I am his. Now that's very intolerant, isn't it? But it's very true. God doesn't treat the righteous the way he treats the wicked because we are his. So when we see it, we see that Abraham approached God in humility. Notice when you read the scripture... He didn't demand anything from God. He didn't come with his fist raised saying, God, you have to. God, you must. He didn't come telling God what to do either, did he? That's the way we pray. God, you've got to do this right here and right now. Can I ask you a question? If God does everything I tell him to do, who's God? He didn't come with that attitude. He came in humility. He came imploring and beseeching and asking. And then he came persistently. Six times he came back to God. See, here's a problem many of us have in prayer. We pray once and forget it. Show me that in the Scripture. It's not there. It's persistence. The parable that Jesus told of the unrighteous judge, you remember that parable? He said that the woman came before him and she just would not let it go. 
She came back again and again and again and again and again until she wore him out. And he finally said, if I don't give this woman what she wants, she'll never go away. Don't treat me like that. I probably won't be as tolerant as God. We need to understand there is power in persistence. If something's important to me, I'm not going to pray about it once and let it go. If my children are hanging over the files of hell, I'm not going to pray for them once and then forget about it. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to implore God. I'm going to ask Him to intervene. I'm going to ask Him to come down with grace and with mercy and touch their hearts and change their lives. Persistence. And then he was very persuasive. He based his prayer on God's character. Listen, you can never go wrong when you pray according to the character of God. Because God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. God is a God of love. Now, does that mean he's not just? Absolutely not. But I'm telling you, if I'm praying for my family, if I'm praying for my friends, if I'm praying for this church, I'm looking at his grace. I'm looking at his mercy. I'm looking at his loving kindness. I'm looking at his forgiveness. I'm looking at his faithfulness. Oh, and I'm going to call on him from that basis. God, you said, I ask you to honor your word. God, you promised. I ask you to bring it to pass. God, you declared, I'm standing on it today. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, God, I remember when you told the Israelites this, 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 and this. And Lord, I'm your child just like they are, so I want some of that same stuff. Come on, we're persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer. And then number three, how can the righteous save a city? It's very simple. Very simple. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. When the righteous triumph, Proverbs 28.12 says, There is great elation, joy, victory, celebration. But when the wicked rise to power, men go into hiding. What had happened in Sodom? The wicked rose to power. The righteous went into hiding. Listen to me. This may be the most important thing I say to you today. The church needs to come out of hiding and be a visible force in this culture. It doesn't mean we're obnoxious. It doesn't mean we're belligerent. But it means we let our light shine. You don't hide a light under a bushel, but you let it shine. And the light penetrates the darkness. The darkness can't snuff out the light. The darkness cannot overcome the light. Oh, come on, church. It's time to be the church. And to stand and let that light shine. Well, how does this principle work of the righteousness arising? Well, first... The righteous have to be in the city. Now, I'm going to confront some things here that need to be confronted. You don't need to find a hidey hole and dig your way in. The church does not need to retreat to the mountains and hunker down and live it out. It's time for the church to be in the city, in the culture, among the people who need Jesus, We will never be effective until we're rubbing shoulders with sinners. Someone said, well, you need to be careful. Who did Jesus hang out with? Oh, yeah, it was the prostitutes. It was the drunkards. It was the thieves. It was the liars. It was the cheats. It was the dregs of society. It was humanity. That's who he hung out with. Why should we be any differently? Come on, church, you need to have some unsaved friends. I saw some of you when I said on that card, you're going to list three unsaved friends, thinking, I don't even know three unsaved friends. Well, you need to go find them. Go find them. 
Make some new friends. It doesn't mean you act like them, but it means that the power and the influence of Jesus in you causes them to want what you've got and brings change into their lives. But you got to get out and find them. They're not going to come running to you. Don't put a sign on your chest. I'm a Christian. See me for answers. That probably won't work. They'll hand you another sign. Yeah, I'm not even going to go there. You got to be in the city. Secondly, the righteous have to be righteous. Oh, that's word. The righteous have to be righteous. What does that mean? It means we take on the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. We shed those things that hold us back and we press forward to pursue Him and seek Him. The righteous have to be righteous. It's not a game. It's not a suit of clothes. It's not an occasional thing. But we live in the righteousness of God. Clothed and cloaked with Him. And third, the righteous have to speak out. You have to let your voice be heard. Again, it doesn't mean you're belligerent. It means that you refuse to sit down and shut up when someone is talking against the church and against Jesus. It's time to stand, church. It's time to stand for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, would, Lot, would Sodom have been a better place if Lot and the other righteous people there would have stood up for righteousness? I believe it would have. It's time for the church to stand in this culture as well. Was it wrong for Dietrich Bonhoeffer to stand against Hitler and the Nazi regime in the 1930s? No, it was right. It was right. Was it wrong for Martin Luther King Jr. to stand against segregation in the 1960s? No, it was right. Do you hear what I'm saying? There are some things we've got to stand up for, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to stand. In days of moral decline, we as the church are obligated to speak out. Because if we don't, who will? The statement's in your notes, and I pray that God burns it into the depths of your spirit. I pray that it turns you inside out. I pray that it does something in you that you will never be able to get away from. Because you need to understand, when great moral issues are at stake, silence is treason. Silence is treason. By refusing to speak for Jesus Christ, I'm denying him just as surely as if I would have denied his name. We need to understand word at a time when we have to speak out. Two things we need to do. We need courage and we need prayer. We need moral courage and we need a commitment to prayer. We need courage to be able to speak out in the face of opposition. And we have to pray in order to find that courage. I've got some good news and some bad news as we wrap this up this morning. Musicians, please come back. The good news, you really can make a difference. It just takes 2%. It just takes 2%. Statistics tell me that 70% of Americans claim Christianity as their religion. I'm looking for 2% fired up, sold out, born again, spirit-filled, blood-bought, devil-chasing believers who will say, I want to be a part of the 2%. I want to be a part of that 2%. The good news is you can make a difference. The bad news? The bad news is that it's not the presence of evil, but the absence of good that brings God's judgment. I've told you many times through 2015, America is living under judgment. 
under the judgment of God. And it's not the presence of evil, it's the absence of good. It's the church living in a vacuum. It's the church living in four walls. It's the church being intimidated and afraid. Oh, if there's ever a time for the church to say, we cannot help but speak in the name of Jesus Christ. This is the time and this is the day. Think about our text. Ten people could have saved Sodom. Ten! Archaeologists tell us there was a city of probably around 250,000 people. But God said, I'll spare them all if I can just find 10. If there's just 10 who are righteous, I'll spare them all. So let me ask you this. What does God see when he looks at your family? What does God see when he looks at your church? What does God see when he looks at your community, your school? your place of work. What does God see? What is your Sodom? Because when it's all said and done, your prayers will matter more than anything else in the world. When you choose to believe the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. I want you to take that prayer card right now. Hold it in your hand, everybody. You've got it. Get it out of your Bible. Get it off the floor where you threw it. Take out a pen. If you don't have a pen, it's a good time to meet your neighbor so you have one of the three names, all right? Take out a pen. And we're going to start at the top. I want to pray for three members of my family very quickly. Write their names down. First name's good enough there. You know them. Write their names down. Three members of your family you're going to pray for every day this year because the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. Then secondly, I'm going to pray for three people that I go to church with. If you don't know three, look to your neighbor on the right, the neighbor on the left, and the neighbor on the next to the one on the left. And you've got three names. I'm going to pray for you this year. I'm going to pray for you this year. I'm going to pray for you this year. And if you don't know names, then write down Stephen and Yvonne Dow. We need all we can get. You got two right there. We need all we can get. And then I'm going to pray for three unsaved friends. Maybe you work with them. Maybe they're your neighbors. Maybe they've been friends since childhood, but they don't know Jesus. I'm going to pray for them. Every single day, I'm going to pull this out of my Bible. I'm going to hang it on my refrigerator. I'm going to put it on my bathroom mirror. I'm going to hang it from the rear view mirror of my car. I'm going to put it where every single day I'm reminded to pray for these nine individuals. And when I pray, God's going to do something in their hearts and in their lives. And then I want you to pray for Tallahassee. Pray for the United States. Pray for Israel. And pray for the kingdom to be expanded in 2016. See, friend, it's not about growing this church. It's about growing His church. And His church isn't confined inside these walls. His church isn't defined by denominational barriers and divisions. His church is everybody who names the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what color. It doesn't matter what language. It doesn't matter what ethnic group. It doesn't matter what your culture is. If you know Jesus, you're a part of his church. I'm really not interested in growing this church. I'm interested in growing his church so that men and women around the world will know him as the Lord and Savior. Everybody got those nine names on your list? Need some more time? Need another name? Steve Dowie Von Dow. There you go. Put it down. Just don't put it under that last section. I might be offended.
Nine people I'm going to take before God every single day. I will not go to sleep at night until I prayed for these nine people. I will not conclude my day until I prayed for these nine people. And I believe that as God listened to Abraham of old, God's going to listen to me. And I believe the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man still makes a difference. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room. You're here this morning and you say, man, I want to be a part of that blessing. I want to be a part of that group that God smiles at. I want to be like you, preacher. I want to be a son of God, a child of God. But I've never asked Jesus to come to my heart and my life. I've never asked him to forgive me of my sins. I'd like to do that right now. So right where you sit, if that's your desire, would you raise your hand and say, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I want to be a child of God. As I wait a moment, as I wait a moment, slip up your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. Yes, anyone else? Pray for me. Yes, sirs. Thank you. Someone else? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? You'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. Yes, I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else will join these four who've raised their hand saying, I want to be a child of God. So wait another moment. Yes, ma'am, I see that hand. So wait another moment. Anyone else? They'll say, I want to be a child of God. I want God to come into my life. Anyone else? This is your opportunity. You're going to, yes, thank you. Thank you, young man. You're going to change your destiny today because you've chosen to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The five of you, six of you, I believe, that raised your hands, would you lift your head and look at me? Just look right at me. You raise your hand. There's nobody else looking around. You just look right at me. Every one of you that raised your hand, lift your head and look at me. No one else is looking around. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a second. And right where you sit, God is going to come into your life. Jesus is going to forgive you of your sins. And he's going to radically transform you and change you from the inside out. Not because of my word but because of His Word. His Word says, if you believe in your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with your mouth that God hath raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Across the congregation, everyone pray it with me. Those six, pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive my sins. Come into my heart. Change my life. Make me your child. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Those six, if you prayed that prayer in faith and in earnesty, God has heard you and he's forgiven you today. And before you leave this building, Vaughn and I will be out there on Main Street. You stop and you tell me, I prayed that prayer with you today, Steve. Jesus is in my heart and in my life. I'm a new creation because of him. Don't leave without telling me because a part of what we need to do is confess what he's done in our lives. So you stop and you tell me. Would you do that, please? Across this room this morning, this invitation is for every one of us. If you are willing to be a part of the 2%, those who are no longer silent, but those who are willing to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in the home, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, in the school system, in the marketplace, wherever we might find ourselves and be given opportunity with boldness 
We'll speak the word of God. If that's your desire, stand your feet. If it's not, stay seated. But if that's your desire, stand your feet. And now we're going to help you. Because the greatest thing we encounter when it comes to telling people about Jesus is our own fear. We need to understand when we surrender to Him, fear is gone. When we submit to Him, He flows in power through our lives. So would you sing this out to Him, I surrender all. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com.